Okay, fellas. Chow time. Let's bring it in. It's showtime, right? It's showtime. Let's kick some ass. Hello, everyone. Show here. This is the Showtime Movie Podcast, episode 22. We're getting up there, you know? I like 22. My favorite number. Could be because I was born on the 22nd, perhaps. Pokemon number 22 is Firo, from what I remember. Kind of a lame Pokemon. Be as your kind of favorite number, you know? I always thought that was kind of a little disappointing, but oh well. But regardless, we are going to get to some movies today. Just two movies this time. Not not three like I have done in the past, but just two we're going to be doing some comedies today. I don't think I've actually done an episode that are, you know, just two comedies. I think I've kind of gotten away from the whole theming of the two movies that we do in a single episode. You know how I used to, I, in the very first one we did Mummy and the Wonder Woman, and it was kind of like the Wonder Woman was a, was a good female-led movie, and Mummy was kind of a bad female-led movie, right? So we kind of got away from theming. So I think, not that I'm going to necessarily do that again, because, you know, you go with what your show evolves to be, and I think it's better if I just review things as they come instead of forcing a connection between them. But I actually do think the movies today have a pretty good connection between them. They're both comedies, of course, and one is a really good comedy, and one is a really, really bad comedy. So I don't want to, like, you know, give away too much about the reviews before we actually get into the sections themselves. So let's get right to them. Uh, the, the comedies we're going to be focusing on are Blockers with John Cena and Leslie Mann and Ike Barinholtz and The Week Of, which is a Netflix comedy with Adam Sandler and Chris Rock. So I'll leave it up to you based on what I just said in terms of which movie is which, which is the good movie, which is the bad movie. But let's get started and we'll start things off with blockers This movie was directed by Kay Cannon, who is primarily known for being a producer and screenwriter on the Pitch Perfect movies, actually, which are pretty darn amazing. So I was pretty excited to see this since it's her directorial debut. And I think generally it's pretty important to continue to get talented women in Hollywood behind the camera. And I, and I honestly think Cannon's first turn there is pretty fun. What One of the strengths of Blockers is definitely the treatment of the women, right? It deals with the double standards that women have to face when having sex versus what men have to face, right? So as one of the characters straight up says in the movie, when men l- lose their virginity, they get high fives and praise, while women get called sluts and are shamed for it, which is definitely not okay, right? So in that sense, this movie is a great way to talk about women owning what they want to do with their bodies and being celebrated and supported by friends. And it all really works for Blockers, really. And I I find that there are almost two kinds of movies present here. You're almost watching two separate things. There's a story that the parents experience as they attempt to stop their daughters from going through with this so-called sex pact. And then there's a story of the daughters themselves, oblivious to the parents, but who are also themselves navigating on familiar waters, right? So all all six of the main characters, the three parents and three daughters, they're pretty great. I wouldn't say there are any weak points in there. Well, we'll start with the kids since they're the unknowns, right? Catherine Newton... Gideon Adlin and Geraldine Viswanathan are Julie, Sam, and Kayla, respectively, and they're best friends having met back in kindergarten 
Julie is the blonde all-American who is weighing going to UCLA. Sam is struggling with her sexual identity and because we learn very early on that she's a lesbian. And Kayla is the athletic tomboy. So, you know, there are three separate stories with them themselves, right? So we'll start with Julie. Her, her main struggle is that she wants the knight to lose her virginity to be absolutely perfect, you know, complete with rose petals on the bed. And, of course, the problem is that these kind of things, and, I mean, really anything in life at all, are rarely perfect, right? So when things go wrong, as they tend to do in raunchy comedy, she becomes somewhat discouraged. And you know what? Maybe this would be a little disappointing. I have nothing really to say about Julie in either a good or bad way. Catherine Newton is fine, and her story is just relatively straightforward, I guess. You know, she is the blonde, pretty girl who always has everything she's wanted, and now there is the first kind of conflict with her mom, and she struggles with it, and of course, by the end, it's all okay, right? So... There's nothing really new or special about her story. It's 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 nice. It's there's a sweet moment towards the end, and that's about it, you know. Kayla, I will say I was a little disappointed with because her humor largely surrounds ingesting a lot of drugs. And Kayla, of course, like I like I just mentioned, is Geraldine Viswanathan's character, right? And there's a moment where she smokes weed for the first time and she takes in a huge hit and holds it for a long time, and then she remarks that her breath intake is better because she's so naturally athletic, so she's better at it because she's a good swimmer. I don't know, it's just, she eats a weed macaroon, and her eyes bulge in a cartoony way, and I, I, I was pleased there was zero mention of her race at literally any point in the movie, which was quite refreshing, but they just used her character to push the narrative of, LOL, drugs are funny, with her date for the evening, who was just referred to as the chef. And you know what? Speaking of the chef, quote-unquote, what a dumb character. You know, like you're telling me there's a high school-age kid who not only understands the, what, chemical compositions of all the drugs in the world, but also has access to all the various cooking equipment required to bake it into all sorts of complex edibles. I mean, come on, you know, like, just give me a little bit of a break here. Like, the, the closest my friends ever got to that in high school were, like, crappy, kind of square-shaped brownies. And, it, you know, it wasn't for lack of trying. You know, I understand that it's a movie, but even for that type of silly humor, it seems kind of unbelievable that such a person would even exist, you know? I mean, even my roommate when I was in university... He was a pastry chef at a restaurant and he made like interesting things like, you know, like chocolate mousse that had like weed in it and stuff. And he was close to 30 and worked at a chef for a number of years. You know what I mean? It's just like that. That's the kind of person who would be able to do that. Not an 18 year old dumb druggy kid. Right. I don't know. It was I was disappointed with that character for a number of reasons, not the least of which was her silly storyline with this other guy. Right. I will say, though, that Sam, Gideon Adlin's character, is easily the most interesting character because the idea of someone struggling with their sexual identity, not knowing if they should go with what they think everyone's in month to do versus what they actually want to do is something that is way more sympathetic than silly drug humor, I think, right? It's, it's more, it requires more acting, frankly. And what, what makes her story more interesting, to me at least, is the fact that her dad knows she's gay so the struggle there isn't that he doesn't want her to have sex with a woman or that he hates she's gay. It's that he doesn't want her prom date, who is this fat redhead named Chad, hilariously complete with a fedora, forcing her to do something she doesn't want to do, right? So it's a, it's a pretty sweet story, and Adlin does a pretty fantastic job of selling the indecision. You know, she doesn't know what to do. She's uncertain about not only herself, but about telling her friends. And I think it's easily the best storyline in the whole movie. But 
apart from those three girls, who are really good, and I look forward to seeing them in more things. I think Catherine Newton actually had a very bit role in Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, but I think she was the character who dies in Three Billboards, so, like, you only ever see her in, what, like, two flashbacks? So, you know, not a lot to go forward with. So I think Blockers is a better start for her and a great introduction to those other two women as well, right? And... What I was going to say is, apart from the three girls, the other teenage characters are more or less, you know, non-existent. The three boys who are paired with them aren't great, though to be fair, they're not given all that much to do. You know, Chad is probably the most hilarious given that he's more of a caricature of people that like, you know, go on Reddit and stuff versus the other two sticks in the muds. But even so, who really cares about Chad? You know, it's not his story. It's not those other guys' stories. It's the stories of these three, three friends who are infinitely, infinitely more interesting. Now, okay, the parents, the adults. Leslie Mann, Ike Barinholtz, and John Cena are all hilarious in their own ways, and Mann is, uh, is Julie's single mother, who she can't deal with being alone. Barinholtz is Sam's estranged father, who after he got divorced from her mother, and Cena is the hyper-protective alpha dad who brought his daughter up into a world of sports, right? So, Leslie Mann's story is pretty relatable, because... But the problem is that kind of like her daughter, it's kind of hard to care all that much, right? We see they have a perfect relationship. You know, they do everything together. They, they have their breakfasts together. They do the same thing. They do their hair the same way, so on and so forth. Man's character tell Julie that she should go to the University of Chicago. And then we see the daughter get the acceptance letter to UCLA. It's just pretty immediately easy to understand where this story is going, you know? We all know it's going to be okay at the end of the story as well. Because it's kind of like a family story, even though it is a raunchy uh, comedy. Surprisingly not rated R in Canada. I thought it was, honestly. And then I looked at my ticket afterwards. I think it's 14A. Surprising for me. But anyways... And, and I think that's why whenever it kind of focuses, when the story focuses on Julie and her mom, I kind of find my eyes glazing a bit. You know, it didn't really help that Julie's boyfriend, who I think I've only ever seen in Riverdale, he's incredibly boring as well. And I mean, of course, because because of course they wrap up things in a pleasant fashion, it's just not that in- interesting, right? The parents learn to accept their kids, have to, grow, have to grow and learn. And that's the main issue with this movie, right? The gags are pretty funny, you know, the acting is fine from both the adults and the kids. It's just that we know the parents will realize that they that they need to let their kids grow. We know the kids will realize that their parents are doing crazy things out of love. So because we know all of this, right, it's just how they realize all of these things. And that's what drives the humor. Like, John Cena's plot is pretty simple. And I do honestly think he has some of the best gags in the whole movie. There's a scene where... He breaks into a fellow parent's house while their kid is at prom in order to obtain the address of where all of their kids are. So he breaks in, and the two parents of the kid that's there. I think the kid actually was the boy, was Julie's boyfriend, right? So they break into the, like this, this, these two, this guy's house, and their parents are playing some weird sex games where they're both na- completely naked and they're blindfolded and are walking around their house trying to find one another. And one of the, the woman finds him, and he pretends to be her husband as she like fondles him, like touches his balls, and you know, scratches him and stuff, and you see, like, full-on, full male nudity, not John Cena, but the the dad of the kid, right? And it's, even though that was kind of gross, it is honestly the highlight of the entire movie. It's great. Ike Barinholtz gets involved as well. It's just so much fun. Cena himself is a great comedic actor, much in the same way The Rock is. Maybe not to the same level, but in the same fashion. And even, you know, even when I saw him in limited action on Psych, that TV show from a few years ago, he's pretty fun to watch, so I am interested in the kinds of movies he's going to be doing next. He's pretty funny. I don't know. I think he's pretty funny. I think, all things considered, it's not as disappointing as I thought it would be, for John Cena specifically, right? I mean, he's been in other movies like Trainwreck and, 
Uh, I think he was in Sisters with uh, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, and his limited appearances have been pretty funny, and this is kind of one of the first movies he's gotten a more of a starring role, and he was really good, so I am looking forward to seeing what comes after. And Ike Barinholtz's character, Hunter, kind of like his daughter, Sam, you kind of know that storyline. There's more to it, right? You, I mentioned before you learned that he already knows that Sam is gay, and so when he has his own poignant scene at the end of the movie with his daughter, and she reveals to him that he she is, in fact, gay... He doesn't tell her that she know that he knows. He just smiles and accepts her. And I kind of thought that was a nice way to do it, considering that if he had said that, hey, yeah, I, I know, I know, I love you, I know, even though that would have been nice, it would have ended up being about him, right, and not about her. And I think that was a kind of refreshing take on it. It was, it was kind of nice to see they did it that way. There's also a hilarious moment right after that where uh, Baron Holtz's character, Hunter, learns that Sam told him before... She told her mother, who he's divorced from, and that's what ends up making him cry in the end, which is pretty funny. Honestly, I'll put it this way. It's not a bad movie. It's pretty funny. And even though it's not Step Brothers or even super bad levels of hilarity, I think it's a pretty honest, sincere story for these six people and how they learn to relate to each other in a new way, right? Although I will say, I saw it on a Tuesday, and here we are in May, almost, what, like a month and a half after it first came to theaters? I think I was one of what, like 10, 11 people in the entire theater when I went to go see it. So clearly, you know, it's kind of waning in terms of interest. So if you're deciding to go see, like, you know, one of your three movies a year in theaters, maybe save Blockers for Netflix. So by now, you could probably guess, since I praised Blockers, which movie I think is not great, right? So... Yeah, okay. I I don't think the week of is great. So I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil anything. So let's go straight to the review of the newest Adam Sandler comedy for Netflix, The Week of. So I've spoken about Netflix movies before, right? Uh, With Bright actually having gotten a review from me earlier this year on this very podcast. We talked about the Cloverfield Paradox getting a mention here and there, right? So this is actually the second Netflix movie I have reviewed. And so let me just say this to start right off, right? I kind of alluded to this earlier. It's not good, okay? Nothing about this movie is good. It's all bad. If that's where you want to hop off this episode, please go right ahead. Honestly, Because the next seven or eight minutes are just going to be me explaining why it's so bad and just ragging on it. But seriously, it's terrible. Do not watch this movie. Do not give Netflix the pleasure of adding you to their list of four billion people watched the week of in the first few weeks as they have for me, right? I feel bad that I did. Truly, I do. As as, as I have actively participated in encouraging Netflix to make more of these. I'm sorry, everyone. This, This one is on me. I'm sorry. I did it. I told some of my coworkers that I actually watched this movie, and they all, I'm not exaggerating, all of them said, wow, I didn't think you'd even watch that movie. I didn't think anyone would watch that movie. And you know what? Frankly, neither did I, but the truth is, it was a slow week. 
I was tired after work and I decided to watch it and I'm sorry I did. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. I, I really am. But we're going to review it anyways. <laughs> and you know what? It's, it's a, lo- a lot of it's bad. I, I mean, not a lot of it. All of it's bad, you know? Okay, here, here's the basic premise. Well, you can judge for yourself based on what I'm saying. Because I, I feel like you listening to a seven or eight minute review of this movie is, is less painful than you watching a two and a half hour movie that's just crappy and a waste of your time in two hours, uh, two and a half hours, you'll never get back, right? So the basic premise is that two kids... One, a young Jewish white woman from a very poor family, not very poor, but poorish, is getting married to a young black Christian guy whose father is an extremely wealthy surgeon. In case you haven't guessed, Adam Sandler is the father of the bride and Chris Rock is the father of the groom. So Adam Sandler and Chris Rock are two of the most famous comedians of their generation, certainly of my lifetime, right? I mean, a lot of other comedians are famous too, but I mean, Adam Sandler and Chris Rock are in such exceptionally funny and successful movies. They themselves are funny and successful, right? And yet this movie is so bad. Like, you guys remember Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2? And Adam Sandler and Chris Rock were both in that movie, and those movies sucked, right? This is like that. This is like Grown Ups, but worse because, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not worse, actually. Maybe it's better because I didn't pay money to go see Grown Ups in theater. I just paid this for my Netflix subscription, right? Which, technically, you pay separately. But anyways... I digress. Let me let me get to the main problems of this movie, right? And I would say that the largest problem is that this movie is entirely driven by weird, wacky moments. So, and what I mean by this is, it's like all the writers sat in a room and said, hey guys, what's the wackiest situation this character can get into? And now when, when that's done, what's, the, what's a situation that's slightly wackier? And let's go, let's go to the next level. And then to the next level. And then to the next level, like, okay, here's an example, right? One moment, Adam Sandler's on a client visit for his contracting business, as people do. And the next, he's lifting his legless great uncle who he forgot in the car to the bathroom so he can poop properly. And then he has to go into the stall while the client is waiting outside of the bathroom, hearing this guy like crap everywhere to hand him his baby wipes, right? Then he goes to the hotel where the ceiling is leaking and the Indian caricature guy who is the manager can't deal with it and he laughs and laughs and laughs and he screams at him like, why are you laughing, right? And then after that, he goes to pick up his daughter, soon to be... Uh, in-law, you know, Chris Rock's character, and they have a big miscommunication about the air conditioner, and then he drops off, he drops him off at the hotel, the leak grows bigger, a chandelier falls in Chris Rock's head, and then, and then, you know, they're at City Hall, where the legless great-uncle is being honored as a veteran from World War II, even though he's not a veteran, and then, you know, then, then, then they're breaking into City Hall to shove bats in there for some reason, and then they're having a bachelor party with strippers where they're children, and then the, they turn the music off for some reason. There's a character who's going to burn the house down, I guess. You know, it's just, it's just barely strung together dumb moments, and the biggest offense to me is that a lot of the moments aren't even funny. And I think that I said this before in this podcast, that is the worst part of a bad comedy. It's not like the, it's not the offensive jokes that, and when I say offensive, I mean offensive to my sensibilities of wanting things to be funny, but also offensive because a lot of it's about race and religion and, and, and gender and so on and so forth. Right. And Adam Sandler, I feel like really does not tackle those jokes very well ever. And I don't think he ever has, but comedies need to be funny, right? I don't care if the characters are not that likable and they're not in this movie. Don't get me wrong. That makes it so much worse. But comedies need to be funny, right? The jokes need to make you laugh. And the, okay, the movie's best gag is probably when Adam Sandler's character, who's clearly not had very, many, very much experience with black people, goes out onto the sidewalk and greets two dudes 
who just happen to be walking by, but because he doesn't know them, he invites them in and he assumes he's they're a part of his soon-to-be extended family, right? It's a hilarious joke, frankly, that you can see coming from a mile away. And the saddest thing is, it's kind of funny. And it's the only, it's the only actual genuinely like kind of LOL type moment of this otherwise, I don't know, joyless humorless cash-in, you know? Chris Rock, for example, is barely given anything to do. We learn he cheated on his wife because he was a young, successful black surgeon. He refers to himself as, like, Dr. Denzel or something. And he's just generally a bad guy, kind of a an asshole who just uses his money to try and buy his way out of everything and make things right. He offers to pay for the wedding. Sandler's character refuses out of pride, and, of course, everything goes horribly wrong, and it ultimately ends up with the wedding burning down. And there are some pointy moments at the end where they end up moving the wedding to Sandler's house, but, you know, ultimately, it's just boring. There's even a part where, true to Adam Sandler fashion, he dresses up as a woman, supposed to be, I think he's supposed to be his own grandmother, or maybe he's, he, he's supposed to be his mother, his daughter's grandmother, and he speaks in the shrill voice that we all know and hate, you know, where he's like, oh, hello there, little boy. You know, like, we, we hear that, we, we see him do that in every movie. Like, why does he continue to do it? Has it ever, ever gotten any praise at all in any reality that any of us live in in any of the universes it's not funny it's it's the worst it's awful and i'm sh- i'm shocked it took them that long to get that in honestly there was a there was a moment where you see a portrait in the hotel room and chris rock says hey isn't that that looks like you man that looks exactly like you and it, obviously it is a picture of him dressed like a woman and he says no man that's not I me mean, that's just someone who comes you know someone with the hotel and 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 Chris Rock's like, yeah, man. And then he makes a joke like, oh, white people look the same to you or something like that. And I'm like, come on, man. It, don't. This is not some like smoking gun that we're going to pull out later, even though they decided to follow up with the joke and make it even worse, right? I don't know. What, I, don't, I don't understand why Adam Sandler does it. It's so dumb. The, and, the, and the other main problem, other than the wacky moments thing, the other main problem is... The characters in general, frankly, none of them are remotely interesting or even likable. You know, there's, there's Adam Sandler and Chris Rock, sure, right? Then there's Adam Sandler's character's wife, who is Rachel Dratch from SNL. Not so great. Steve Buscemi is the weird, perverted cousin. Super dumb. The best friend, I don't even know what her name is. Super annoying, who, like, is obsessed with dicks or something. Weird, right? And she ends up making out with Steve Buscemi at some point. For what reason? God only knows why, right? The other friend, who sleeps with the neighbor, who is, like, the only other ethnicity who is not black she's asian in this entire movie she sleeps with a neighbor both of them the neighbor and the friend are dumb and annoying the only characters who you could maybe make an excuse for right are the two people getting married and they have a grand total of i think 10 lines combined between them they're not the focus of the movie and they should be even though the movie's about them getting married it's just it's just such a bad time you know and here's my question to you Everyone I've talked to has said it looks terrible from the get-go. You know, so with that in mind, would people have gone to see this movie in the theater? Probably not, in all honesty, right? It would have bombed. But because we all have Netflix accounts, Netflix counts it as a win, even though we don't know how many people watched it and hated it, like me, or started watching it and then fell asleep, or any number number of things, right? It's, It's crazy that Netflix gets away with pushing out all this mediocre content for movies, and maybe they get the pass because of all the generally what, okay to good TV they put out, right? It's just, I guess it's just weird that they can make high production things like Lost in Space and Dear White People. I'm, I'm quoting those two things, or I'm citing those two things because they're newer, even though I haven't finished with Dear White People, and I have watched all of Lost in Space, and even though it's kind of bad, the production values in that show are are amazing. Everything is shiny and new, and it looks really cool. And then they make turds 
like bright and the week of and the do over and stuff constantly. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand how, where the disconnect is. You know, I mean, if they're making like 13 episodes of Lost in Space, which is what, like, thir- like almost like 11 to 12 hours if they're like 55 minute episodes, 45 minutes to 55 minute episodes over a combined season. That's like, what, five movies? And each one of the episodes at least looks nice, yet not no part of any of the movies are good, you know? I'll say this, though. If, I, if I'm being completely honest, I would pick Bright over the week of a million times out of a million because at least Bright tried to do something visually interesting, right? And it was an idea that had some promise, even though you, even if you want to say it was a ripoff of that video game slash RPG thing, Shadowrun, right? If you want to claim that, go right ahead. I don't care. Because at least they tried. They tried, and even though it was bad and heavy, like ham-fisted, heavy-handed, whatever you want to call it, they tried. The Weekend was just a story we've seen a hundred times, and they then proceeded to do absolutely nothing new with it, right? And just, it's a shame, considering how funny... Adam Sandler and Chris Rock can be. Before we wrap up here, I just wanted to do a little housekeeping in terms of some news and some upcoming things in the podcast. Since the last episode was about the Avengers, I thought it was relevant to maybe give you a quick update on how the movie is doing, just because I find this kind of stuff interesting, the whole box office draw how much the movie is doing in theaters you know i always i know it's not necessarily important not like it changes my life or yours for that matter but i always thought it was kind of interesting to see how these movies do on a, in a general fashion so avengers infinity war broke the uh, domestic opening weekend box office record and the worldwide opening record which is crazy right it had 250 million dollars domestically and 630 million dollars worldwide that's insane okay right so just for context the opening weekend domestically broke the previous record, which was two hundred and forty-seven point nine million, which was set by Star Wars: The Force Awakens in uh, December by December twenty fifteen. That was, that was about what two million dollars, just over two million dollars. But I think it's also worth mentioning. I'm quoting here from Box Office Mojo that uh, Disney underestimated Black Panther's two hundred and two million dollars opening performance by almost ten million. They all, they also underestimated the Avengers apparently, and also underestimated Age of Ultron. So. I think it actually ended up making more come Monday. That th- I think this was like after the Friday Saturday timeline after they got a little more idea of who was going to see this movie at, in theaters and I think s- since then uh, as of today or as of yesterday I should say Infinity War has has already topped a billion internationally. It's the fifth largest global release of all times. You know, it opened in China, delivered the second largest opening in China ever. It's just it's just pretty crazy, <laughs> and uh, and we, what we've we, the movie's been out for two weeks, so that's pretty wild. I think it's pretty impressive that Disney has managed to do it, and good for them. Honestly, good for them. I'm excited to see how much money Avengers Four makes next summer. Frankly, so we'll we'll have to wait a year for that. But uh, I think it's kind of a fun, fun little update on how Avengers Infinity War is doing. Although I'm sure we all expected that it would basically print money for Disney, right? Um, apart from that, though. There, are, I wanted to talk about the movies we're going to be covering on the podcast going forward. Because, you know, I always say we're going to do this movie, and we're going to do that movie, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, right? And then I kind of sometimes don't follow up with it. So these are the movies that I definitely will, in some fashion, cover on this podcast. We might jam a three into an episode sometimes, because as we all know, the summer has just oodles and oodles of movies coming out at all times, right? There's pretty much one every week or every other week from now until the end of the summer, until the end of September, really. And... I want to get as many movies in here as possible because I do plan on applying for my media pass for TIFF and I want to start doing a little bit of a extra podcast for the movies they see at TIFF 
but that'll be kind of bonus content. Like, it will, maybe I'll do a TIFF episode, but it'll be separate from the regular stream of episodes. So, you know, if we get to episode 25 and then I do TIFF, the TIFF episode won't be episode 26. It'll be kind of like TIFF episode one or whatever. But we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that when we get to it. But the movies we're going to cover on Showtime itself are as follows. So Deadpool comes out next week, Deadpool 2, May 18th, and Solo, A Star Wars Story, for which the reviews, early reviews have been relatively positive. That's May 25th. So I think Deadpool 2 and Han Solo are going to be kind of the their own movie, you know, superhero Marvel movie, and then another Disney movie, but the kind of much maligned Han Solo movie, which I frankly am very excited to see. We're going to get Ocean's 8 and Incredibles 2, and that might be a weird episode because I'm actually going to be away for a little while. Let's probably talk a little more about it as the trip gets closer. But that's June 8th and June 15th, and I will be gone pretty much from, I think, June 7th to the 19th or something like that. I forget what the days are, but I won't be here in Canada. So maybe I'll record my podcast abroad. Maybe I'll see these movies in a different language. Who knows, right? I mean, I, I would only be able to see it in French because I can only speak English and French. So if I am in Germany or uh, Denmark, like I plan to be, I do not speak German or Danish. So I will have to uh, get a movie with subtitles, or maybe the mo- maybe it'll just be in English, and then it'll have German and, and Danish subtitles. So maybe that'll be that's not too bad, right? But anyways, Ocean's Eight, Incredibles Two, want to get that in there. Jurassic World Two, that's June twenty second. Sicario Two, June 29th. Ant Man and the Wasp, of course, Marvel, Ju- July sixth. I want to see Hotel Transylvania 3 because I'm not going to lie. The first two are some guilty pleasures of mine. I enjoy those movies. That movie comes out July 13th. Maybe we'll actually get a good Adam Sandler performance. Maybe, huh? Hopefully. (laughs) Uh, Skyscraper, the latest rock movie, comes out on July 13th. I'm I'm still not sure what that movie is about. I guess it's about this guy who's a security officer for a city in a skyscraper has to rescue his family who's trapped in this city-wide skyscraper. Like, why are terrorists even breaking into a like a bajillion story high skyscraper in like Dubai anyways. Like why, why are they doing that? I don't know. Right. Well, what could they pop? Are there bearer bonds like in Die Hard? Like, I don't know. Right. Why could they possibly do that? Who knows? I'm still going to go see it because, Hey, I love the rock and, uh, it's looks, it looks kind of, kind of fun, I guess, you know, uh, equalizer two with Denzel comes out on July 20th. I might take my dad to see that one. Very excited because who doesn't like seeing Denzel Washington beat up a bunch of people. Right. I mean, I, I certainly do. And then, on the uh, white person side of that, there's Mission Impossible 6, what Mission Impossible Fallout, as it is actually called, on July 27th. I'm excited for that movie because, honestly, the Mission Impossible movies are better than they any, have any right to be. I, I, I decided that I'm going to slowly rewatch all the Mission Impossible movies with my roommate leading up to July 27th, and we just already watched uh, number one and two. And I like Mission Impossible 1. It's kind of fun. Mission Impossible 2 sucks, okay? I don't care. If you like that movie, honestly, you should feel bad. That movie is bad. Nothing, nothing is good. It's just cheesy. It's campy. And not in the good, cheesy or campy way, in the, Jesus, I can't believe anyone actually made this and thought this was good kind of way, right? But, hey, it was it was 2000. John Woo was at, like, doing John Woo things. So, I mean, whatever, right? But it is what it is. But Mission Impossible 6 Fallout comes out July 27th. Christopher Robin with Ian McGregor comes out on August 3rd. That looks like it could be some fun. It, I, I feel like when Jim Cummings speaks as Pooh, you can almost feel yourself being transported back to a, being, a, being a child and hearing that amazingly familiar melancholy voice, right? So I'm very excited to see that movie. Crazy Rich Asians with Constance Wu is coming out on uh, August 17th. And I, ha- I have to read the book before. I kind of started reading it and then kind of fell off because I moved and just generally became busy. But I do want to see that movie. It looks kind of fun. It'll be fun to see an Asian cast. Honestly, not a lot of white people, if any. And I'm very excited for that. 
Then there's uh, the Predator, the latest entry in the Predator universe. You know, get to the Choppa and all that stuff, right? That comes out September 14th. And then finally, since we're, I, I figured we'd only go to the end of September, and the last movie coming out on my list here is Night School with Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish. So that movie's coming out September 28th. That looks kind of fun. So, But I mean, what? We're May, it's May now. That's in September. That's looking like way far ahead. And who knows? Uh, by, by then, TIFF will be over, right? So there'll, there'll be a lot of content coming on the podcast in the coming months, the coming weeks. And as always, you know, if there's something that I did not mention just now that you do actually want me to cover, I, I would be happy to. I love getting suggestions from my friends, from my uh, my followers, my coworkers, all the people who listen to the podcast, you know, if you listen to it for fun, you listen to it as you're driving home from work or, you know, you're doing something else, cooking or whatever, however you listen, if there is a suggestion for how we can make the podcast better, I say we, right? It's just me. <laughs> but if you have a suggestion for how I can make the podcast better, please forward it to me again. My personal Twitter is at S-N-S-A-L-L-I and the, the, the show's Twitter is at Showtime Movies, S-H-O, T-I-M movies, right? So if you want to reach in me on either either way, uh, you can certainly do so. I encourage it. But that's it for today. I will await your tweets and DMs with bated breath. But for now, this has been episode 22 of the Showtime Movie Podcast. Thank you as always for listening and have a great night. Yeah!